Hello, and welcome to Las Doctoras podcast, bringing you conversations about race, gender, sexuality, reproductive justice, and so much more. I am Dr. Renee Limas, gender pronouns she, her. I am Dr. Christina Rose, gender pronouns she, her, hers. In this podcast, we are going to share space with women and other people of color to discuss ways to dismantle all systems of oppression, including white supremacist, capitalistic, cis-heteronormative patriarchy. We imagine ourselves sitting at the table in our abuelita's house, sharing a pot of frijoles de la olla and chasing that with a shot of tequila, all while thinking up revolutionary ideas. That's the sentiment we hope to bring you, and we invite you to join us on this journey. Bienvenidos. Hello, and welcome to Las Doctoras Podcast. So this is our 10th episode, and it has been a while. Um, Christine and I have both been wrapping up our semester, and as always, that can get a little tricky as we're uh, finalizing grades and whatnot. Um, and also, Christina spent um, some time in Paris uh, presenting at a conference on our Semillas de las Abuelas book project. Um, and so if you follow us, follow us on Instagram, I'm sure you saw that. Um, she had a really wonderful experience, um, and it was really exciting for all of us to see our work go before us, right, um, internationally. And even if all of us couldn't be there, um, it was really great to have Christina represent us. So um, that's been really exciting. Um, other updates, you know, we've we've kind of got a little bit going on here, um, although we're really trying to take it easy for the summer. You know, as academics, our fall and spring semesters are often so intense that by summer we're just a little burnt out and need a rest. So we're really trying to honor that for ourselves. Um, but we do have some episodes um, that we're still trying to get out, um, through the summer. So you'll still be hearing that, um, from us through the summer. Um, another, you know, thing that we, we've been really getting some amazing feedback. It's really interesting. I think we're both shocked by, you know, the amount of responses that we get, you know, people actually interacting with us and talking with us. Um, you know, we recently had um, an article in Voyage LA magazine. Um, so they interviewed us and, and they published that article online. You can see um, that in, in the link in our bio on Instagram. Um, and so, you know, it's, we're kind of getting this exposure in a different way that we haven't been used to. And, and of course, with that comes feedback, you know, all across the spectrum. And um, and, and we want to let everybody know that we definitely listen to your feedback and we hear and we, we want to engage with our community and we want to engage with our listeners and, and be able to have, you know, open dialogues. And so, but one thing that we want to remind, you know, our listeners is that even though, um, you know, as academics, we, we speak from a highly engaged perspective, you know, we've done a lot of research, we've done a lot of reading, um, and, you know, we're pretty well versed on our topics, but by no means does that mean that we know everything. <laughs> 
by no means in any way, shape, or form, right? There's still so much for for us to learn. And so we always encourage people, you know, and our listeners especially, to practice critical media literacy. Um, and that's actually what my my graduate work was about. You know, my dissertation was about critical media literacy. And really all that means is to engage with anything that we listen to, that we read in a critical way, um, regardless of how much we love, you know, who, who we're reading or what we're reading, you know, to always have a critical eye on that. You know, we really encourage um, not let any one source be the end all be all of information, right? Even us as academics, there's definitely scholars that we lean on a lot. You know, for us, Gloria Ansaldua is um, is a central scholar in in, a, in our work. Um, and yet at the same time, you know, we can still be critical of that work, right? And of her work, Um and, you know, and we're not just going to look at her work. We're going to look at a broad scope of, of scholarship um, on any one topic in particular. And so we're always, we want to encourage our listeners to do the same, to, to look at multiple sources, to be critical when necessary, and then to come to your own conclusions based on um, a holistic perspective. So we just want to really make that clear. Um, so to be fully transparent, we, um, we got one particular feedback, um, where they were just concerned about one particular, uh, person that we were, um, highlighting their work. And, um, and although we, we totally hear that feedback, we also want to make sure that we're doing our own due diligence about that before we kind of call any one person out, you know, um, and so, um, but in the meantime, we, again, just encourage everybody to make sure that they're doing their own, you know, research on, and anybody that we highlight, right, um, I know that we are a trusted source, and, and we do try to do as much research as we can, you know, when we highlight somebody, but again, we, we, we don't know everything. <laughs> um, and so we're just doing our best. And um, yeah, and again, all we can encourage is it's to be, um, you know, to yeah, to be engaging in critical media literacy as much as you can, as much as we all are. So um, anyway, um, you know, we can maybe get more into that at another time. But this is our 10th episode. And, you know, when we started this, um, back in, I think, November or so. I don't know what we envisioned, but here we are at our 10th episode, and it's really exciting. And so we kind of wanted this episode to be sort of celebratory and kind of like an anniversary episode, right? Um, and in that spirit, we wanted to sort of come full circle back to our first episode where we shared our journeys in academia. Um, and this, I think, is so fitting that this episode is coming out now because we are in graduation season, right? So on Instagram, I'm watching so many people post their either their PhD um, graduations or master's graduations or even bachelor's graduations, even, you know, like our kids' kindergarten graduations and like just all this different stuff. And it's such a beautiful time, I think, to see celebration around these accomplishments. Um, and so being able to watch people, you know, walk that stage is so powerful. And so in this episode, we interview two amazing fellow academics, Lucha Arevalo and Jovita Murillo-Leon. 
They're both doing such amazing work. And in this interview, drop some amazing gems of knowledge on our conversation. Um, The conversation was so great that we are actually going to be breaking it up over two episodes. Um, You know, I didn't want to break up the flow of our conversation. And I think we all just had so much to say. And so, yeah, we're going to do that in two episodes. So in this first half of the conversation for this episode, um, we talk with these women, um, we talk about how these women got to the places they are now in terms of their academic journeys. So Jovita is um, in a graduate program and Lucha actually, um, as of today that I'm recording this, she has defended her dissertation and she walked across that stage and she is now Dr. Lucha Arevalo. So congratulations to her. That is so amazing. Um, during the time of the interview, she was still kind of finishing up. So I just want to sort of shout out to her, um, you know, congratulations. So anyway, in the in this part of the conversation, we talk a lot about mentorship. And actually, Lucha uses this word called femtorship. And we were all just blown away um, by that term and and really just recognizing the importance of sharing our experiences with others um, to help each other out, right? And especially because of, um, you know, the lack of Latinas and people of color in higher education. So the statistic is that less than 1% um, of, of PhDs are Latinas. Okay, so less than 1%. It's not even a percentage. And I, and I, and I kind of mentioned that in our interview. But knowing that, it's really important, you know, for those of us who are able to reach that point, to be able to then go back, you know, into, into our communities and be those femtors, right, as Lucha would say, and be um, those beacons of hope and be that source of information, of inspiration, of motivation to help others, you know, either walk that same path or walk whatever path that they're meant to be on, right? Like um, mentorship is so, so important, particularly for marginalized communities. So we speak to that in a lot of different ways. And I think that that's a really powerful conversation. Um, We also talk about our intentions in academia, right? I think it's interesting to think about the different reasons why people go into academia and why people go into higher education. And I think for, you know, for us, we, for Christina and I, but in this conversation, Lucha and Jovita as well, we're so grounded in our communities and so grounded in the needs um, of our communities that that's, that's where our academic work stems from, right? It's not, you know, just research for the sake of research, but it's really grounded in um, the work that we want to do in our communities and really wanting to to help out our people, to help out, um, you know, our communities in all their forms, right? And particularly for Lucha and Jovita, you know, they work in education, public policy, and in public health. And, um, and so being able to you know, be in academia, but, uh, you know, eventually the purpose of that being able to bring all that information back into the communities to be able to help out the community. So um, just, uh, you know, sort of talking about what our intentions in academia is, I think that that was, you know, such a beautiful part of the conversation. Um, You know, all in all, this was such a great conversation with these two women. I can just sort of even listening back to it and hearing their words and hearing their 
their genuineness, if that's a word, (laughs) you know, then them just being truly vulnerable with where they're at in their journeys and how far they've come and, um, and the struggles that they've, that they've overcome, you know, and then how they, you know, feel about, um, you know, talking about, about that experience and, and what message they want to put out there. So it's such a great, conversation and we're really excited for you all to be able to to meet these two women and to get the get to know these two women and just to realize um you know again how how other Latinas are doing such great work. Um, I also just want to give you a quick heads up. So again, this is going to be broken up over over two episodes. And then forthcoming, we also did an amazing interview with Chicana Motherworks. So if you're not familiar with who they are, please go check them out. They just had um, a book published. It's an anthology of stories about motherhood and particularly, you know, being Chicanas or being women of color. And it's such a great book and they are just you know it's kind of like they're who we want to be <laughs> they're who what me and christina want to be and um and so we were able to have this amazing opportunity to interview them and you know um and they have a podcast as well so uh, yeah so that that's going to be another coming episode but in the meantime um we're happy that you are here and that you'll get to listen and learn about lucha and jovita thanks Welcome. We are here with our guests and um, both uh, fellow academics, Chicanas, activists, um, Lucha is a mama. And honestly, we just wanted wanted a reason to bring these mujeres to our podcast. So that's (laughs) why they're here. Um, And we can and want to center our conversation on the experiences of Latinas um, Chicanas, um, and academia, scholars, mamas, mujeres, and all the different identities that you have, that we have, and what, um, what all that means for our careers and for our academic journeys, really. Um, I think we can begin by having you all introduce yourselves. Sound good? (laughs) So you can just say your name. Yeah. Where you're at, what's going on, who are you? I'm Lucha Arevalo, and I am from right next door, the city of Compton. And uh, that's that's where I grew up. That's where I organize, and I teach at in the CSU at Cal State Dominguez Hills, Long Beach, and L.A. Um, in ethnic studies programs departments. And uh, my mama, I'm finishing, my, finishing up my Ph.D. in a month. Um, I know Um, so I've been you know writing really trying to honor my writing writer identity Um, and that's a little bit about me I'm organizer um, organized with different in different spaces Mm -hmm. awesome so my name is Javita Murillo Leon I'm also from Compton Um, and you can say pretty much Watts um, and I, uh, I'm a doctoral student in public health at Claremont Graduate University. I'm finishing up my coursework at the end of, of, of well, yeah, at the end of May. And, um, and I'll be moving on to my qualifying exams this fall. Yay! Yay! <laughs> um, a lot of the work that I do right now is sort of look at the intersection between the built environment, um, Health, public health and policy, as we know, we're at a point where our zip codes are better indicators of our health than our than, than DNA codes. 
Ooh. Ooh. So, uh, <laughs> that's a lot. And then, you know, my background is in social justice and advocacy. So uh-huh. being a Mexican-American studies or Chicano-Latino studies uh-huh. uh, major, uh-huh. um, I feel like I bring a lot of that into very traditional conservative public health. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. So, so yeah, yeah. Just a little bit about me. Well, thank you all for being here. I think yeah. this is, um, it's great. And like I was telling you all before, you know, we've been sort of reflecting on this statistic, right? That less mm-hmm. than, less than what, it's not even a percentage of Latinas have their PhD. And, and what does it mean to be in PhD programs? What does it mean to mm-hmm. be graduating from PhD programs? Um, and I also think that it creates a very small circle, mm-hmm. right? That it's, I feel like there's a room of four of us. Mm-hmm. This is a lot, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Um, we were just at an event on Friday at Dominguez Hills. And I was like, yeah, this is like all of us, right? Like, you know, it's, it's, um, it's really interesting to see how small that network is, you know, and that I think, um, I think we all kind of know each other in some way. And I think that's something we can talk to. Yeah. Why, how, how are you all here? Like the overlap, <laughs> you know, how we both know you, but through different yeah. avenues, you know? Yeah. Um, so I met Jovita at Corazon del Pueblo for the women's circle, um, that Raquel and Martha were leading for a long time there. And we just would sit together every week and then go around the circle and just share and everyone. And it was amazing to find out that you knew Renee through yeah. your schooling, right? Yeah, we did um, our master's program yeah. together at Cal State LA. Yeah. yeah. And then Lucha and I worked together at Dominguez Hills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and we went to grad school together you ah, that makes sense <laughs> <Got it. laughs> um i know it's it's, it's kind of interesting yeah to see those and even like christine and i right like just how we i think how we find each other mm-hmm. maybe and mm-hmm. i think you know we'll kind of get into that too but um yeah i just i just keep thinking like it's such a small circle of people and um it's important for us to come together and mm-hmm. to support each other mm-hmm. and to um, and to share our experiences with each other. And I think that's part of the conversation we want to have, too, is, like, demystifying mm-hmm. all um, all steps in this process, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what does it mean to be in coursework and taking your qualifying exams? What does it mean to be writing a dissertation? What does it mean to be done and <laughs> trying to figure out, like... Working part-time, full-time. Yeah, like, like tenure, comes, tenure track, all those different yeah, things. Like right? what, They're all codes for... Yeah, like, what comes next, you uh-huh. know? Um, and then even, like, what what are the choices in that? Or do uh-huh. we have, you know, many choices in that? But mm-hmm. anyways... Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are the choices. Yeah. Um, I want to... I think that both of you are doing such great work. Mm-hmm. Um and so I think I want to kind of take some time to like highlight each of your work. And mm-hmm. so if you can each talk about, you know, what programs you're in, mm-hmm. um, specifically what is your, you know, area of specialty, as they yeah. say, right? Um, this is like your 10 minute, or 10 yeah, minute, 10 minute, 10 <laughs> second elevator speech. <laughs> like when, when people ask you, so what's your dissertation about? And you're like, oh my God, how do I summarize it? <laughs> right. And, you know, yeah. but... But yeah, so if you can just talk a little bit about what your work is. I think that's so important because I think as we go through this journey, we're also figuring out like what is our story and like claiming our stories as our own Mm -hmm. and our journeys. Mm -hmm. And so like for me, um, you know, I actually started grad school at Columbia University in New York. 
And um, I know, I know, <laughs> right? unknown fact. Um, and and I thought I was gonna stay there for my PhD as well. I thought that's where I was gonna be at. Um, so my research, you know, it's in K through twelve education policy, um, looking at how schools are becoming privatized through charter schools. And um, when mm. I was out there my first year, my master's program, uh, the parent trigger law was passed in Compton. And it was first invoked in at my elementary school in McKinley. And I was just sort of like... Um, Can you explain what that is? Yeah. The parent trigger law? Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So the parent trigger law was passed in the state of California, which basically allows parents at traditional public schools to essentially pull the trigger. It's almost like a gun, right? Pull the trigger uh-huh. uh, on their school to invoke certain reforms. And uh-huh. so if they get 50 plus 1% uh, of parents to sign a petition they could, you know, have one or four, one of four reforms, and one of them is to convert their traditional public school into a charter school. Uh, and so the first time, you know, parents pulled the trigger for, on this law was at in Compton at McKinley. And so I was in New York when this was all happening, and I felt like, whoa, here I am in New York writing about Harlem, and this is happening literally like in my own backyard, mm-hmm. in my community. And because I had gained such a wealth of knowledge in terms of like how these processes happen, looking at the largest school district in New York, right? I felt sort of like a responsibility and obligation to come back home. Hmm. And so my homegirl at the time, Pickles, was mm-hmm. like, Lucha, <laughs> like you would love it out here um, in ethnic studies at UCR. And she she knew what I was struggling with, right? In terms of like being the only person in my class who was really being critical of education policy. And, mm-hmm. and I felt like mm. I was always like that voice, you know, my colleagues would come and be like, Lucha, what did you think about the book? Because they knew I'd have these perspectives, right? And I was like, ain't nobody funding me to be here. (laughs) Ain't nobody to pay me for my opinion. Exactly. And so um, I will say that um, I had a scholarship. So I'm a Gates Millennium recipient, which means that, um, you know, why I'm here is because I'd have my entire educational trajectory paid for until I get my PhD. And I got that right out of high school. Um, and so it's a very unique um, scholarship paid yeah. by Sugar Daddy Bill Gates. <laughs> um, but it was conditional. It was like it had a certain conditions, right? And so if I if I went to a private university, then they would only pay half, right? So Columbia, they only pay half. So I felt like, you know, I was in this two-year program and they were only paying for half of my education. And I didn't feel like it was an education that was really pushing me to think critically and to think more beyond. I was the one doing that in my classes. Yes. And so then I wanted to really be in a program that was going to challenge me to think about education policy, but also like all these other race, race formations and things like that in a more critical way. And so I finished my two-year program in a year and I transferred to UCR and wow. ethnic studies. Yeah. And, and basically, uh, in doing so, I... Uh, I revoked my my scholarship because they don't fund ethnic studies. <gasps> Boom. Yeah, and I, so but I knew this. that like I gave up five years of funding um, to enter ethnic studies because I truly believe in the project of ethnic wow. studies, and, and I really wanted my project to exist like within an wow. ethnic studies discipline. Mm-hmm. So 
I knew for like entering the program, I knew entering grad school that um, I wouldn't be funded. I knew that it was going to be hard. And so then when I didn't get the grants, when I didn't get the fellowships, when I didn't get the things that I was applying for, I had to really remind myself like, mm. Lucha, people don't fund this type of work, right? Yes. And, and really like not internalize that sense of failure of like, oh, people aren't validating my work. People aren't mm-hmm. seeing my work, but seeing like I see it. Right. Yeah. And and I know it's important, um, but it's been a struggle. Right. It's like I'm in my eighth year um, finishing up, took a year off to uh, become a parent. <laughs> yeah. And so it's it's been a really long journey, like along the way, got another master's in our program in ethnic studies. And um, and then also not just being like a scholar researcher, but being an activist scholar researcher, mm-hmm. um, which is like another obligation communal obligation right Mm -hmm. that it's like a whole nother like full-time job of creating community and and also being accountable in your work and so i've done a lot of things like running for the school board in my city um launching ethnic studies now compton um you know currently transforming the at-large voting election to by district election mm-hmm. um and, and and other projects like uh being one of the co-founders for the praxis institute which is a teacher professional development for teachers that want to teach ethnic studies um through are the association of rasa educators and so i mean i've i've you're doing a lot doing a lot yeah, yeah to say <laughs> you're doing a lot yeah so that's just a little bit about like the work that i do right yeah. and i think it goes back to this um question of what is my purpose right Mm -hmm. and what are my gifts what are my what's my skill set like what is my contribution and also realizing that i could only do so much so what's also my capacity Mm -hmm. like these are these are questions that i think i've always been asking myself and um realizing like the limitations around that yeah Mm -hmm. yeah that's i mean that's a yeah (laughs) okay jovita tell us about your work so um let's see so one of the things that i when i was growing up one of the things i experienced was this is like um we had the civil uprising the 1992 riots in compton right so what what compton did is that um more like the university charles drew university in watts right watts is right next to compton they started having a lot of youth programs right a lot of um, science academies right and that's another thing that in the hood they really push the science and i'm like i think it's great but we could go beyond science you know my sisters are in the arts Mm-hmm. So, um, so, so that, that before I go off on, on a tangent, um, <laughs> that um, so I think that's what rooted me in science, right? So I started the science academy when I was seven and eight, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and then I ended up um, at King Drew Magnet, and so they they provided with the you know they sort of trained me on how to because I came from Compton uh, Unified, and I don't think I anybody in Compton Unified receives the type of training to survive um, to survive in. Um, yeah. In college, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but King Drew provided me. So I went from that type of like learning to King Drew type of learning, right? Which they train us, you know, on, you basically taught us how to write, how, you know. I in, don't know what it is. What is oh, King, King Drew Magnet is a high school. Oh, okay. So, so yeah, it's a magnet high school. Yeah, it's a magnet high school. Mm. It's one of the, the, the most biggest, I guess, magnet high schools in Los Angeles mm. and in that area in South Los Angeles. Um, so they really train me how, on how to survive, um, you know, school. Mm-hmm. Had I gone to to college with the training that I got or the education that I got at Compton High, I wouldn't have survived, y'all. Like honestly. Mm-hmm. So then I, I go on to to King Drew. They prepared us, and you know, by having like you know, every week we had a test, every week we had a quiz, every week we had reports. I mean, they 
By the time we went off to college, all of us knew what was up. So then in college, I decided to go six hours away from school to UC Santa Cruz. I just, you know, I just, you know, I need a break from the hood. You know, we'll say that. It was a lot of things that I encountered, a lot of things that I experienced, right? You know, there was a lot of gun violence, you know, because there's a lot of things that I think, and nobody really touches this because gun violence has just gained momentum. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't as, as important where maybe people like me and my family were experiencing it, right? Mm-hmm. But gun violence has always existed, especially in, in inner cities. So then, you know, I had that background and then, you know, all the things that happen in the family, there's a lot of other types of abuses that you deal with. And that's just the truth, right? So then I wanted to get away from all of that. I said, I'm tired. I'm 17. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I want to go somewhere where um, where nobody knows me and I can start all over again. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I have no connection to nobody. And so then I, mm-hmm. I, I ended up, um, I was going to be a math major. And I've always liked science. Wow. <laughs> But then, um, you know, things didn't work out. I, I noticed that I sort of, you know, I sort of, I, I like the, the, the organization, the movimiento, and I like going to, to the meetings, that, you, know, of, you know, for certain organizations at school. And we were such a small number of Latino students at, U, at uh, UC Santa Cruz that all of us sort of knew each other and all mm-hmm. of us bound, uh, bonded. And so I noticed that my work was in advocacy and social justice, right? And like, that's what I, where my heart thrived, right? I mean, I know numbers and I get numbers, but it's that, again, like your purpose in life, right? Mm-hmm. And so I knew it had to do with that. So then I ended up um, staying, sticking around. Um, I ended up moving to the Silicon Valley. It's really expensive, y'all. So then I said, I can do a master's program because I started my master's program in Mexican-American studies mm. at San Jose State. Mm. And I remember that talking, having a conversation with Professor Pizarro. And he, you know, he pretty much said, like, you know, is this a place where you want to be at, right? And then by that time, I didn't have, you know, all of my friends had left. I didn't have, like, a support system right mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. At San Jose, it was really expensive. So then I ended up coming here, and I ended up in Cal City Lake. Mm-hmm. And around this time, I started doing social work. So I realized there's a connection between the environment and mental health. And then, mm. so I sort of knew that it was there. I just didn't know pin, how to pinpoint it, right? Mm-hmm. And so some of the cases, a lot of the cases that we will, we will get were, were because of abuse, right? Different types of abuses and neglect. But really when, it, when I started talking to the, to the mujeres or to, to the clients, I started realizing, um, you know, when somebody doesn't have, the, when someone has to spend most of their rent or most of their money, for rent, or they have to choose. Be, they have to choose between meeting their basic necessities or their or meet or paying for their health. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's something wrong with our government. Like there, there is something wrong here. This is this is not okay, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and it happened to be a woman that we will get, and it happened to be that in this particular system, they tended to blame the victim, mm-hmm. and even that alone. Is, is, is too much, right? That's yeah. something is up. So with any type of social worker, what happens is that you get burned down. Yeah. Mm. And so I ended up getting burned out. I said, I got to take a break from this, but I'm still very passionate about mental health. So then I ended up doing, ended up going back to uh, starting to do some research work with Charles Drew and then Children's Hospital and then LA Care uh, Health Plan. And then now I ended up seeing how health really looked, right? Both mm. from a research side from a from a frontline uh, 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 practical a, yeah and then I said okay now I know the missing link and now I understand how this environment why environment impacts mm-hmm. health mm-hmm. but you know and I always wanted to be a doctor I said but I feel like I need a, a, a skill set that I don't have that I need 
to get to where I want to get at, but I don't know where I'm, I want to get at. So that's, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I'm really lost, right? I'm only at that time. I was, you know, about to go into my 30s, and then that's another thing. I said, well, Jovita, you know, you're about to go into your 30s. Do you really want to start a doctorate program in your 30s? Mm. You know, do you have the <laughs> means? You, I don't have a scholarship. I don't have anything. Do they offer fellowships, right? And it's funny because one of the things that, that you said is like, you know, what advice did you get? Or what, one of the questions that we're hoping to get to is, yeah. like, you know, what advice did you get? I remember t- people telling me, Jovita, don't go for the, for the doctorate program. Wow. Do not go for the doctorate program. Oof. You have the experience. You could do it yourself. Do not. So... I didn't know nobody in my circle was encouraging me to go, wow. and now I understand why. <laughs> <laughs> um, so now I do get it. But so then I ended up going into uh, Claremont, and um, and I ended up going into their their um, public health program, mm-hmm. and you know talk about putting what you what you've learned into practice. So I come in with that strong background of advocacy and social justice. I am from Compton. I have experienced these health disparities that we talk about. I am the health disparity, right? Surviving in this predominantly, you know, white culture, right? So um, it's been a lot of that. It's been, and I look at Lucha because it's been a lot of, okay, how about we take this and see it from this whole different perspective, right? Uh, how about we, 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 you know, how about we, we, direct, we direct this conversation? How about this and how about that? And then as a result, I, I had one of my... One of my colleagues tell me, Jovita, I'm afraid that they're going to kick you out. <laughs> yeah. You know, because I'm very outspoken. I'm very, you know, but I'm very real. I'm like, okay, if, if our program, right, um, if we're trying to be practical in, in, in the way we're te- in, the way that, that we practice public health, then we have to know that that the people that are most affected are, are you know, minority communities, right? And how do we help them? Not, not, how, not let me learn more. Yeah, I can learn more about them, but... How do we help them in a in a productive way where you you have to learn how to work alongside with them mm-hmm. instead of like on top of them? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Of course. So so that's a lot of the work that I do, and then um, but now the next big step is you know I'm about to be done with coursework in May. Mm. I want to teach. I'm in public health. I have a strong background, but I have a strong background in, in social justice and, and and advocacy. So I come in with that. Um, and I'm on, I, I need to take my qualifying exams. And I didn't know that the first part is finishing your work. Mm-hmm. The second big part mm-hmm. is doing the qualifying exams, mm-hmm. getting that proposal done mm-hmm. so then you can advance to your dissertation. So that's where I'm at where I'm like, okay, mm-hmm. I feel like I just went over, you know, <laughs> I'm done with one hurdle. I'm going to take on another one. Yeah. I think you bring up such an interesting point in terms of, you know, I I, mm-hmm. I I could see myself in that last part that you said yeah. about, um, you know, you get through one big hurdle and then mm-hmm. sometimes you don't even know what's next or what that's going to be like mm-hmm. being a first generation college student, mm-hmm. but also like first generation, my family to speak English, first generation, mm-hmm. my family to be born in the United States, yeah. first generation in so many other ways yeah. that um, no one ever sat me down and was like, Lucha this is what it is yeah. and this is what it's going to be like mm-hmm. um i had to rely on my my friends or fo- like folks that have done it mm-hmm. uh, a year before me <laughs> um and and even then it, it looks so different for everyone yeah right mm-hmm. i never got like I, I was never raised in a culture where i knew you know i would be entering these spaces mm-hmm. and that these were the expectations mm-hmm. and that's what you're gonna have to confront Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's a lot of resilience in that, right? Mm-hmm. It's like I learned so much from 
the hardship that mm. now I know how to like provide that femtor shit, mentor yeah. shit. <laughs> and now, like, now, yeah, like and I and I actually I tell my students yeah. I know it's difficult um, completing your all the way, you know, completing the entire educational pipeline. I know it's really difficult, but I actually like to tell students you could do it. Like yeah. it's not that difficult. It's not impossible. Mm. And yeah, you know, it's hard and sleepless nights and stress <laughs> and you know, there's the competitive side to it. There's all these stressors, but actually like now that I reflect back on it, it's like that's not what I want to I, what I want the message to be. Mm-hmm. Like, I actually want my students, and I tell them all the time, like, you could do it. You know, mm-hmm. if I could do it, you could do it. Like, it's actually mm-hmm. very much easy, yeah. especially yeah. if you choose something that you're passionate about. Yeah. Like, especially if you choose something that mm-hmm. um, is not just this cool, sexy topic, but it's like your life's work, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, and when it's that, then you have a different relationship to it. It's not just to advance your individualistic career. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about like, what are the lessons that you're learning through it? And how am I becoming a better person? And as a result of that, like, how am I helping my community? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's not difficult. Like, actually, that's, yeah. that's a beautiful journey, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so like reframing the narrative around like yes. going through education, it's like, well, part of it is that, um, for me, at least, it was a healing process, mm-hmm. you know, like, yes. and I think we were talking about this last time. Mm-hmm. Um, I had to realize throughout my PhD program that for me, I got into higher education because of the trauma that I faced through education and my K through 12, mm-hmm. like wow. going through yeah. schools in Compton on the west side <laughs> of Compton, to be specific, mm-hmm. um, being rejected from King Drew Magnet yeah. High School, wow. um, you know, feeling that sense of failure and rejection from a very young age yeah. because I was an English language learner, mm-hmm. um, you know, flunking fifth grade and having to go to summer school. Like, so all these different things yeah. that I went through, like yeah. in my education, that I felt like I had to prove. I had to, mm-hmm. I had to prove yeah. that, you know, I am worthy of being in education. Like, v- graduating as number two in my high school class, but not being able to give the salutatorian speech, you know, like things like that, that I felt like wow. it, it, it impacted me. It impacted yeah. my self-confidence, my self-esteem. Um, it made me lucha, like yeah. it made me like, mm-hmm. but I recognize that not every student is going to respond that way. Yeah. Like yeah. some students are going to actually really internalize that and be like, well, I guess I'm a sense of failure. Like, I guess I'm yeah. never going to get there. And I guess I should just give up now and not even yes. go to high school because, mm-hmm. yep. you know, my family's in need. And so um, for me, I think mm-hmm. I was able to do something that not many people do at a very young age which was transform my rage my frustration Mm -hmm. that trauma that i experienced into something transformational like for myself and so for me it was like i'm gonna prove to all my teachers i'm gonna prove to my counselor that didn't want to write me that letter to get that scholarship Mm -hmm. i'm gonna prove to all of them that i am gonna do it and so but through my doctoral program i realized I don't have to prove to anybody. I did. I had to come to that realization. It's like, I don't got to prove myself to you. No. Like, I don't have to prove myself to anyone. I, I have to own who I am, my narrative, my story. And I think becoming a parent really made me realize, like, what am I modeling? Right? Like, do I want to be this reactionary person that, 
you know, internalizes how people respond to me. Like, not really. Like, that's not really what I want to model. And and so, like, in these past two years of being a, a new parent, it's really forced me to think about, like, I don't want to, I don't want my life to be determined by my traumas. Yeah. Like, yes. I want my life to be determined by who I want to be. Yeah. You know, and, and yeah. so that's a very kind of shifting the framework in terms of how I see what I do. <laughs> I'm on my like, My moon's going to start. <laughs> and I'm just it's feeling like, that. I don't want to be, you know, shaped by my trauma. But I really relate to yeah. the anger in elementary school, junior high. Something snapped. Something like, not snap. Something like awoke, right? Yeah. That was just like, no. No. And then... Yeah. I think I, think I really enjoy hearing you all talk about I think it's about intention right I think like you said it's not about being some I always call it celebrity Mm. academic Mm. right where you're gonna publish all Mm. these books and have you know whatever like Mm. what what are you going into education for you know what is your what is your purpose what is your intention and I think for me it was it was always being well aware of that statistic. Mm-hmm. I said, at the end of the day, if I am a Latina getting a PhD, that means something. Oh, yes. It means something, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, I was always aware of these, like, statistics about Latina. It's weird. Like like you said, we're always mm-hmm. trying to prove, mm-hmm. you know, I was like, what is it? Because, like, you know, even getting pregnant before 18, right? Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, I got to make sure I don't get pregnant before 18. And mm-hmm. It was like I was always trying to be the mm-hmm. anti-statistic working against those things. Um, but, yeah, I think it was my intention was um, I get getting into this because I'm doing it for the work and yeah. for, you know, my community yeah. and um, and not for the... I don't know, like, who actually gets academic fame? Like, rich white men, like, yeah. I, I mean... <laughs> and that's another thing that, that you know, I tell myself, because it's also been a healing journey. One of the things that I that I told myself is that, Jovita, if you're going to go back to school in your 30s, because me and my homegirl from, from South Central decided to go into our grad program. She went to a master's program. She's graduating, and we celebrate her graduation. She's mm-hmm. a master's in public administration, I think it is, in awesome. May. Mm-hmm. So that's another Latina, right, making it. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that I told her, I remember we were having the discussion that I'm going to go back in school not with that mentality where I have to get all A's like who the hell is gonna look at my grades after my doctor's <laughs> program no, nobody no, right no, no. no it's not like my supervisor is gonna be like did you get that A Jovita yeah. right yeah, yeah, you yeah. know so um and with very with the very conscious I'm very conscious about what I'm able to do and not able to do and I think I'm gonna take this discussion into disabilities right mm. so I do have a disability right and, um, and it's been through my disability that I've been able to get that extra time, right, to do work, right, that I have been mm-hmm. able to, that, um, that I have been able to navigate it. Without it, I don't think how, I don't, you know, because there are, there are, you know, um, there are uh, offices that do protect you, there are policies that do protect you, mm-hmm. but, you know, I wonder it had had I not had my disabilities, would I have been able to survive, right? Because I had to take like three, four mm. years of coursework, right? Mm. And but I also learned in the in, 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 in my journey to you know getting my, my doctorate is is that I'm not the traditional student. You know, schools were, were created and education or, or higher education was created mm-hmm. for white men. It's catered mm-hmm. for white men. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not a white person and I'm very outspoken. So it's almost even in, in class, I, I, you know, I said, I'm going to start, you know, putting out my disclaimer. I'm very outspoken. You know, so, so really when I started class, I'm like, I'm very outspoken. I speak my mind, right? Yeah. 
but see it as something productive as something good right mm -hmm. and so um and yes. it's interesting because okay so my first two years i was very hesitant to be a to be a mentor to anybody right because mm. i felt like i didn't belong and i felt like you know this imposter syndrome was really real in the beginning right i'm really hearing like i don't have to prove myself and actually yeah i am an imposter yeah in yeah. this world right yeah. just like claiming that That's yeah like, yeah so so i didn't mentor anybody and people will be like Jovita, you need to mentor people like you know you alone you mm. being here says a lot right and then i'm in the sciences right so that's a whole different beast right so then um you know, but I felt really hesitant, and I said, I don't even know if I'm going to make it, y'all. Like, I don't even know if I'm going to finish this program. Like, I don't know, right? And honestly, it wasn't until this last year that I said, hey, I think, um, I, you know, I feel comfortable. I, I now feel comfortable being a doctor student, and I feel like I mm. I know a lot. Now I feel that I don't have to prove myself, right? And then, mm. then I kept on, because towards the end, I was like, what the hell am I proving myself? <laughs> like, you know, I am who I am. And I do have experience, right? But it's the system. Right? The system was created in events. And there's nobody in the doctorate program. And we all know that there's a lot of mental health in doctorate programs, right? Mm -hmm. This system was not created to support your, your mental and emotional well-being. It, it was not. Yeah. It's not, right? And unless there's somebody that is able to do an intervention, right? Unless, you know, higher education, they're going to have to get to that point, you Because know, there's a lot of mental health. I hear a lot about, you know, oh, yeah. mental health cases. Um, Claremont, at, as, a col as colleges, just experienced two suicides, I think, <gasps> a month and a half ago, right? Wow. Um, back to back. So I said, hello, systems, right? Hello, universities. You have to start really thinking about students' emotional and mental well-being. That back in the, it worked in the 80s, it worked in the 90s, doesn't work right now. Wow. change the system right mm -hmm. and i'm all about you know mental health and, and advocacy and mental health but anyways going back to being a mentor you know it took a while for me to say i'm not here to prove prove myself to anyone one two then it then the next big step was well what can i do with the knowledge that i do have because mm -hmm. i do have knowledge and i do have experience so this year i started sort of mentoring people and telling telling folks okay mm -hmm. this is what you do in health you have public health and then you have medicine Mm. So this is how it's done, right? So yeah. it's been this year, and I like a lucha, right? But but it has been just this year that I that I felt really comfortable in my own skin, yeah. And mm -hmm. I really, I finally built up in my moment, like not my momentum, but my confidence and my, yeah. my self esteem finally went back up, and that's how I've been able to help individuals and and really mentor people. And I do tell them the truth, right? Yeah. You know, school is not easy, and it you know these are, these spaces were not for, created for us. Yeah. But you can take what you learn and you could apply it this way and this way and this way and let's work on what you want to do, you know? So mentoring or I love femtoring. I love it. I love it. I love it so much. I just want to use it forever. Because <laughs> um, the, the other question we want to ask you is like, how did you make it? Where did you find support? And I'm hearing that we found it in maybe circles like this. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. But also from people who decided to, you know, extend a hand, a, an ear, you know. Um. I think for me, it's always been the generation right before me mm -hmm. and or those who are right there next to me. Mm -hmm. um, because we have to recognize that the university has changed. Mm -hmm. You know, if you were a graduate student in the 90s or in the 80s, it's so different mm -hmm. even in the early 2000s wow. than what it is today. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that. Um, I for a while I felt sort of like Lucha is taking you a while. It's taking you a while. Like why is it taking you a while to finish? Yeah. Um, but then I also you know going back to realizing all the roadblocks that I had in front of me mm -hmm. and 
it's really difficult to write when you're teaching. Mm-hmm. When you're teaching across yeah. three and at one point four campuses, oh. you know, and so yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think part of it is like, we need to hear more of that realness. Mm-hmm. Like, what is Ooh. the life like as an adjunct? And I have a, a homie that says adjunct. <laughs> and I use it now because we're like the adjunct of the university. Like, they get to do with us what they want. They get to have us when they need us. And <laughs> it makes me cry yes. because it's so true. And dismiss us when they don't. And, and unfortunately, we're in a very precarious uh, situation where we need a job. Like, yeah. we need a roof over We're our at head. their whim. Yeah, and so it, it's like this has been a teaching moment for me as well to realize like how will I uh, mentor mentor the next generation right and and doing it in a way that is real like these are the obstacles this is what the university is becoming very mm-hmm. neoliberal mm-hmm. you know um and yeah being real like is this really for you like mm-hmm. is this really something you want to yeah. do right um, so I think for me, it's always been relying on the people that are right there with me, like along the journey, right? And then the next generation, the generation that just graduated, because I think there's been a sense of understanding of like, they know what that is like, mm-hmm. right? It's been so mm-hmm. fresh. Um, mm-hmm. but So we're going to end this episode there and in our next episode we'll come back with the second half of this amazing conversation. Thanks for listening.